everyone, it's Keith. Let's talk about drugs. This is a really unhelpful word, in my opinion, because it's like talking about animals. Like, it's an extremely diverse... Uh, <laughs> the subset within drugs are so diverse that one single word is a little silly to use. But I think if I was to just define what a drug is off the top of my head, I would describe it as something that changes your state of consciousness. And in that spirit, uh, I aim to try and talk about all of them. But my point here is to differentiate and describe uh, why people do certain drugs and what the risks might be and what the benefits might be for each kind of class of drugs. And I'm doing this in the spirit of getting back out there uh, after COVID-19. Uh, the pandemic is subsiding, people are resuming normal lives, and that includes socializing and partying. And party culture is a thing. Uh, it's a thing in my life. And I want to describe that specifically, and I want to differentiate that from other instances in which drug behavior and abuse might exist. So... Like I said, drugs affect your state of consciousness. It's not the only way to affect your consciousness. Uh, meditation and mindfulness is another way. And when the goal is to, let's say, improve your life through a higher state of consciousness, there are alternatives to drugs. So I want to make that clear right away. Meditation, specifically uh, silent retreats. Um, journaling, being aware of your thoughts, um, this kind of stuff, also exercise, uh, being fit, getting your heart rate up, um, aerobic activity, these can also affect your brain in really beneficial ways. So straight away, when people aim to change their consciousness, these kind of alternatives are worth pursuing and considering. They're slower, they're harder, and that's where drugs can come in handy. Now, why do people want to change their consciousness? This is like, I think, the fundamental question. And the answers vary. I think oftentimes, most predominantly, especially throughout human history, life is pain, and people want to escape that pain. Uh, so anything that deadens the senses or kills the pain is going to be popular among a large subset of humans. Alcohol specifically has been like the most consumed drug throughout time. And it does have this effect of kind of numbing the pain and deadening the senses appropriately while also having other benefits like uh, lowering inhibitions and uh, lubricating social interactions. Alcohol is probably the main drug to discuss. It happens to probably be the, the most damaging as well in, on, in terms of health on the body. It probably shortens lifespans the most. It probably uh, complicates your organs the most, specifically the liver. But also, um, I would say, like, your belly <laughs> and your brain. It makes people sluggish. Uh, it produces hangovers, obviously, and it's very habit-forming. So alcoholism is a thing. It's the only addiction within these drugs that gets its own name. 
you know, alcoholism versus drug addiction, which includes everything else. Um, and we don't necessarily think of alcohol as a drug, but it definitely is. And it could even be described as a gateway drug. When I was growing up, uh, you know, through uh, Reagan's 80s and the 90s specifically, cannabis was considered the gateway drug. And that's fair. It's actually fair. Um, I remember um, not pr appreciating that at the time because it kind of is its own thing as well. Uh, but cannabis or marijuana or weed or pot or grass or whatever, um, this is also like, I think it can be spoken of in the same breath as alcohol, especially now that it's becoming legal in more and more places. This is also the kind of drug that can be used very casually. Um, it's habit forming, but uh, it's less dangerous and not technically addictive the way that alcohol is. This is like a drug that you can just do every day and maintain a certain kind of lifestyle without major adverse health complications. Um, I suppose the third drug to mention here would be tobacco slash nicotine. These are separate things, but they're combined in cigarettes. Nicotine is the additive that makes cigarettes so addictive. Tobacco is the one that hurts the body probably more in terms of smoke into the lungs. Cannabis has that problem too, but now it's being uh, produced in ways to circumvent that, either through vaping or through edibles. Um, and all these other creative ways that it's being infused into uh, consumables, basically. So I'm mentioning these top three drugs as the legal and prevalent ways that people alter their consciousness after a long day of work, out of boredom, perhaps, and some sort of way to augment their life, largely through socializing with each other. Um, or a way to augment experiences, you know, getting high to watch a movie or play a video game, uh, you know, smoking to um, cure anxiety or ease anxiety, at least, uh, smoking cigarettes, that is, um, vaping as like, um, let's say something like a, an oral fixation or something like to calm fidgeting. These are kind of like drugs that easily fit into modern lifestyle, let's say. Smoking much, much less, let's be honest. Like, smoking is prohibited in most indoor places and even some outdoor places, whereas drinking is, like, far and away, in my opinion, Western culture's number one activity. You know, even just drinking beverages like soda um, or water. Like, water bottles are always a thing. Um, people just love imbibing liquid and i'm i agree it's like the best way to consume things to me um so i find it really nice to drink and when drinking has a mind-altering effect that's cool obviously this is a very popular opinion drinking is extremely prevalent and popular around the world forever uh, because of its intoxicating benefits though it does have a blight on society, and that's why it's also been criminalized in the past, specifically in America. Let's break down alcohol into its three subsets. There are beer, wine, and spirits, generally speaking. Uh, beer is, you know, extremely popular around the world. 
I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's pretty obvious. People know what beer is, but it is a culture, especially in the 2010s, uh, microbreweries and fancy beers, uh, pale ales that are really hoppy, higher content, higher alcohol content beers. Usually uh, the alcohol content is like around 5% and they can go up to 10%. Um, you know, beer is very drinkable. It's it's most similar to water, you know, in terms of the the alcohols. Um, it's it's filling. It has a lot of calories, so that's a downside of it. People get full off beer. People get fat off beer. Uh, but it's very popular and easy to drink. And I think a, a major benefit is the dosage. Like one serving of beer has a pretty minor effect on most people, depending on your size. Uh, it's, a, it's an easy thing to monitor in terms of how intoxicated you're getting. And that's what makes it such an easy drug is that one beer doesn't really affect your life too much. It takes the edge off of a long day. Uh, it, it, it loosens you up just a little bit. Two beers is a nice dose for like a daily thing. And I think it's so popular for that reason. Even at lunchtime, you know, a, a beer has benefits. You could even call them medical benefits, though we don't tend to think of it that way. Wine is a different cultural experience. Um, of course, wine and beer can be drank uh, at the same table, but wine is a little more highfalutin, a little higher end. You can charge much more for wine, and people spend hundreds, even thousands on wine, like a bottle, which is kind of insane to me. But there's a whole culture around wine, obviously. Um, wine is either red or white, depending on the grape seed or the grape skin, even. Um, Rosé is kind of an in-between. Uh, it can be sparkling or not. A lot of people confuse the Champagne region of France to describe all sparkling wines, but it's actually a subset of sparkling wine, which includes Prosecco or Sect. And yeah, people can get very serious about wine and spend a lot of money on wine. People collect wine. It's a whole thing. It's a little fancier. The alcoholic content of wine is higher. It's like, um, you know, 10 to 15% and the serving size is different. You drink a little less liquid versus a serving of beer. So it can be less filling in that sense, but it's thicker. It's more viscous than a beer, generally speaking. Not always. And then thirdly, there are spirits, which include all the hard alcohols, but also liqueurs. Um, so liquor includes vodka, whiskey, gin, rum, um, you know, there are more, but generally people drink one of these with a mixer. The alcoholic content here is now up to like 40%, um, you know, so you need much less to have the same effects. But essentially people describe one can of beer like at 16 ounces to one glass of wine at like eight ounces to one shot of liquor of like two ounces or something like that. Um, and these all have like a similar dose effect, you know, one shot of whiskey won't affect you necessarily so much but because it is technically different from beer there is a difference and people feel those differences and people's uh, brain chemistry reacts to these things a little different but essentially this is all alcohol and of course we have other alcohols like sake from japan which is kind of similar to wine but a little different we have um, we now have like hard seltzer which is a cool new invention, I think. Um, it can be overly sweetened, but in general, it's just 
you know, taking synthesized alcohol and putting it into, like, sparkling water, which is kind of great. Anyways, alcohol is, like, it's kind of obvious. It's an easy place to start here in this drug conversation. I just want to highlight that people imbibe these consumables to change their brain chemistry, to alter their consciousness. And they do that with alcohol in general, in our culture, to loosen up a bit, to be happier and more social. And it's a net positive, which is why it's so widely accepted. The bene- the negatives are when you abuse this substance. And abuse looks like drinking too much, obviously. Like drinking, uh, I would say a signs would be drinking too early, drinking too often. Um, not stopping drinking, you know, like there's a difference between drinking a couple beers, even three at the end of the day versus drinking a whole six pack or 12 pack every day. You know what I mean? So yeah, this is alcohol with cannabis. Um, we're talking about a plant. Um, I didn't really talk about the plants where alcohol comes from, but it's usually a grain like wheat, um, or the grape. Um, with cannabis, this is a plant that grows naturally around the world. Um, and you don't even have to ferment it or distill it or do anything to it. It just literally flowers into this highly potent chemical that people enjoy smoking. Uh, this is also a really ancient drug and it's been criminalized for some reason throughout modern times. Um, it's literally a free growing plant. And it's really been insane to me that it's been criminal, but it's really exciting to me that it's becoming more accepted and legal. And now we have these products that are made. So we have, you know, I've mentioned smoking, inhaling smoke into the lungs is bad for the lungs. That's why cigarettes can be so unhealthy and create cancer. And it's true for cannabis also. It's not healthy to take in this heavy smoke into your lungs constantly. So now it's being... uh, fabricated into cookies and brownies and mints and edibles as such and also into liquids that can be um, vaporized and inhaled with less damage to the lungs Uh, abuse for so let's start with the benefits the benefits of cannabis um, it's it tends to be mind-altering in a creative exciting euphoric way Creative people like it a lot, especially young creative people, because it kind of opens up the doors of perception, to use a term I'll come back to. Um, It changes the way you look at the world, which is very exciting, especially for young people or bored people. Uh, It's not a painkiller. It's not really done to sedate people, but it does have a sedative effect, especially depending on the strain. Usually cannabis is broken into sativa and indica. These are the two major strains of cannabis. And... Indica is a little more of a low feeling, like being stoned, like laying on the couch and eating chips um, and just zoning out. This is like an indica strain versus like the more euphoric experience of feeling upbeat and creative and excited and uh, inspired. These are ex- these are experiences felt off sativa. So if somebody is smoking weed, it also matters what kind of weed they're smoking and what their life looks like around it. What are they chasing? What are they avoiding? What are they, you know, are they escaping or are they like seizing the world? And there's a difference. And even within this one drug, you have different use cases. 
There are also medical benefits. There's calming of anxiety, though I feel the older I get, the more it exacerbates anxiety. Um, it can promote eating, which is good for people that need to eat more. Um, it can help people sleep, but it can also keep people awake. So it has these kind of you know side effects that people also use it for. And if you're just interested in the side effects, CBD is this cannabinoid from the same cannabis plant without the THC. THC is the active chemical in cannabis that gives you all these highs or stoned effects. But you can also now synthesize this plant to cut out the THC and just use the CBD, which has the more side effect benefits of like anti-anxiety, for instance. And you can also mix these. And that's what's so cool about legalization, I have to say, is that once you make something above board and take it away from the black market and let legitimate businesses take their go at it, they can like properly get these into labs and make things that are new and exciting. Like, you know, five parts CBD to one part THC for like a more uh, subtle high with more maximal uh, benefits, medical benefits, for instance. So I mentioned that Cannabis is a gateway drug. In my life, it was the case for sure. I started smoking pot, you know, when I was like a freshman in high school or something. And it was very exciting. And it it told, it showed me that the world uh, has all this potential to it, all these, you know, ways to feel and experience things. Alcohol didn't really do that. Alcohol just showed me like, oh, you can like party, you can deaden your senses, you can lose your inhibitions that's cool but it's also like especially if you start drinking too young it's like oh wow this is poison <laughs> you know like people are vomiting from this this is like dangerous people are passing out you know like you can die from alcohol you know period um you can't die from smoking weed uh and all the drugs i talk about like actually i think alcohol is the most dangerous um cannabis is not dangerous it the danger of cannabis is lifestyle based so I can even say from experience, like it's, it's alluring to get too interested in the brain experience of being high and forgetting about life in a way, forgetting about actual physical moving around to new places and doing things. It can turn doers into thinkers is what I mean to say. Um, but not necessarily. It depends. It totally depends. Uh, cigarettes, I'm not going to spend time on here, really. I will say that it's a, it is a drug. Um, I guess I would put it more in the class of caffeine, which is a drug. People drink coffee. It's, you know, I would say the second most popular drug in society after alcohol. Maybe the first, depending on where you are. People love being high on caffeine. People love being awake. People drink coffee in the morning to be awake to heighten their senses and be sharp. And it really does the trick. Um, there are offshoots of caffeine or related drugs like taurine, um, you know, like in these like energy drinks like Red Bull or Monster or something. These have these like added chemicals to them that mimic caffeine. There are diuretics as well. So you'll probably end up on the toilet with these kind of drugs. These are over-the-counter uh, drugs. <laughs> these are legal. These are considered, I mean, we don't even consider them drugs, right? Like, no one thinks of coffee as a drug, but it is. Uh, it affects your state of consciousness, period. That's what it does. That's what a drug is. 
and people love coffee for that reason, uh, myself included, I would put tobacco in this category. It's like barely a drug, but it is. It affects your brain. Uh, you'll feel jitters if you've never smoked a cigarette before, then you do. You'll feel something. Um, but it's done for lifestyle purposes mostly. It's done so that you have something to do with your hand. It's done so that you have a break from a conversation that you get up and walk outside, for instance. Um, it's a posture experience. You know, people look good when they hold a cigarette. I, uh, I admit to this, you know, as a photographer and even an admirer of women, like women look good holding cigarettes. I would say the costs outweigh the benefits. Um, cigarettes don't taste good. They don't smell good. Um, they cost money. They're habit forming. They're hard to stop once you start. So in general, I would say that it's, it's not really worth smoking cigarettes. Like the high is so, so minimal. Like what's the point, you know? Um, but it's something to do. So for people that are fidgety and need something to do, anxious people like cigarettes. Um, and anxious people like coffee too, but it can exacerbate it. Um, drugs are funny like that. They tend to have these kind of like mixed kind of contradictory effects. You know, people take something up to calm anxiety and then it makes them more anxious sometimes. Okay, so let's move into uh, actual drugs that people are probably curious about. Um, let's see, which way do I want to go here first? I guess I'll just jump into the party drugs because this is kind of the meat of this episode and it's where, uh, I think most education can be done. Um, party culture is a thing. What is party culture? Party culture, I think is best exemplified by festivals like Burning Man. Anytime you see a lot of people dressed in some fanciful way, usually, or some specifically cultural way, um, congregating, usually around music. Um, so that can be, you know, it can be rock or pop or hip hop, but in general, party culture is um, anchored on electronic music and specifically DJs spinning hard beats, <laughs> either through techno or house, deep house, uh, breakbeat jungle, drum and bass, all this kind of stuff. This is all like electronic music. Um, EDM, a little less so, but yes, EDM, electronic dance music, is kind of a more pop-oriented uh, electronic music. Um, and yes, that also, people party with that too. So party culture is always around, like, let's say, electronic music. Uh, it usually involves some kind of um, excessive fashion statement. Um, People like to look good. People like to look interesting. Uh, so girls tend to dress in a certain, let's say, um, festive way or provocative way or, uh, you know, appealing way. Guys tend to, to try and match that, but not necessarily. People can dress very casually, of course. But Burning Man, I think, as the epitome of party culture, people dress very outlandish and fanciful and flamboyant um, with a lot of, like, flare let's say and drugs are another major component of party culture and it's just the way it is people might deny that people might go into it without taking drugs that's fine but in general party culture is um, a late night activity it's also during the day but it can go entire weekends depending on where you are especially around festivals um, and there are very specific drugs oriented within party culture. And I would say there's five 
maybe six or seven. And those drugs are probably cocaine, ketamine, ecstasy or MDMA, mushrooms, and acid. And those are like the big five, I would say. Um, you have others. You have GHB, which is very niche. You have um, speed, other amphetamines like methadrone. Um, you have whippets or poppers, or you have these little minor ones uh, surrounding the scene. But in general, I would say we're talking about five major drugs. And these drugs, I think, need to be broken down further and expanded. So let's talk about psychedelics. Let's talk about um, disassociatives. Let's talk about uppers. Um, eventually, we'll talk also about downers and then pharmaceutical drugs. So let's start with psychedelics. So psychedelics are a very specific class of drugs that I think most more than any other drug, they need to be given their own category. Psychedelics include mushrooms and acid, which are really psilocybin and LSD. Those are the active ingredients. And these are pro uh, prominent within party culture, though not the most prevalent things. This class also includes stuff like mescaline, ayahuasca, DMT. So let's say that those are like the major five psychedelic drugs, with mushrooms and acid being by far the two biggest ones. Now, these drugs are extremely different from, let's say, alcohol, as an example. People take these drugs with entirely different goals in mind. Now, the predominant purpose of these drugs, just like all drugs, is to alter consciousness. That is the point of all drugs. But in this case, that consciousness is being directed in a very certain direction, which is upward. It's to open the doors of perception, as Aldous Huxley famously said, referring to uh, LSD specifically. And the point here is that there is a world beyond this one. <laughs> there is like a spiritual world. There is like a greater universal truth to be seen. Meditation, like I said, can get you there. Religion used to be the point of getting us there as a species. People like would flock to religion and go to church. And this is why churches are so ornate and uh, incredible places to be in, because the whole point is to kind of get your mind to this higher state of consciousness, to recognize the oneness of the universe, for instance. That's the point of psychedelics. Now, people take these drugs to have trips toward this other world, let's say. And that's why people do them. In party culture, it's kind of strange because I don't think of these as party drugs. Like, you don't you don't take these drugs to lo loosen your inhibitions or just socially lubricate a situation. Like, that's not what these do, the way alcohol does that. So to me, it's a little funny. It's also really important to note that set and setting really matter when taking these kind of drugs because um, these are mental experiences that can vary wildly depending on who you're with and where you are. And for those of you wondering about the side effects or the negative, the consequences of these drugs, they're usually just mental. The phys there's not really physical side effects to these drugs. They're not going to do any damage to your physical body. They're not going to take yours off your life. They're not going to target a certain organ and hurt it the way that other drugs might. 
But these drugs do mess with your mind. And people prone to uh, psychological disorders like schizophrenia, for instance, uh, drugs, psychedelic drugs will make those issues more apparent. People tend, like schizophrenics, tend to become schizophrenic through a dramatic episode in their life in their 20s or so. And psychedelics can be that instigator. So that is kind of the danger of these drugs is that you can have a bad trip and that bad trip could have permanent consequences. Now, the likelihood of that is low if you're talking numbers, but it can happen. Um, they're also just more of a big deal. These are the kind of drugs that you properly plan out. You like determine what day of the week you're going to do it. Or if you're going to a festival, you figure out when exactly you're going to take this and who you're with. And you're going to like kind of treat it in a more ceremonial way. There's a lot of ceremony involved with these kind of drugs. So that's one class of drugs, psychedelics. They need to be respected. They need to be thought of in a medical way or at least a spiritual way. Um, they have been promoted in therapeutic environments. And they're being discussed widely now by the likes of Sam Harris and um, who's that author who wrote uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, he, he's written a book about psychedelics. Um, the name's escaping me. These are drugs that are really worth pursuing if your point is to expand your consciousness and open your mind. And it's it can be done in one go. Like you don't have to develop a lifestyle around this stuff. You can just do it once, for instance. Um, but people do develop lifestyles around it. Like I said, this is part of party culture. Uh, it has its roots in the hippie movements. Um, you know, like there, there are cultures activated around this experience of expanding your mind. Okay, then we have, let's say, uppers. Cocaine is an upper. Cocaine is very popular. It's popular among partiers. It's popular everywhere, really, um, because it feels good. This is something that affects your dopamine in your brain. And it just kind of, it's it's not a painkiller, but it kind of like suppresses negative feelings, um, including some amount of pain, but it's mental. Um, but it has this like, yeah, it has a real psychological um, interplay. And this is a white powder. I should describe what these actually look like. Um, psychedelics look like all sorts of things, but they're usually derived from plants. LSD is synthesized. Um, yeah, mushrooms are actual literal mushrooms, but you can like bake them into chocolates and stuff. Um, acid is like a liquid. It can be put on a little piece of paper. Um, that's usually what's happened, what happens. Um, but the other drugs are derived from plants that are often put into teas and stuff. Um, cocaine is a white powder, and there's a lot of white powders. We can even just describe drugs in a class of white powders. And cocaine is probably the biggest one. Uh, it's also the most expensive one. So it's a higher-end version of uppers, which include speed and amphetamines generally. Amphetamines are part of party culture, but they're not as prominent um, I suppose that's a bias of mine, um, because that's just not within my culture as much, but it is around a lot, so I should actually include that. It's also combined with ecstasy or MDMA a lot, so uh, things are getting complicated here. I hope you're staying with me. We're talking about white powders, uh, and we're talking specifically about cocaine, which is considered a very dangerous drug, a Schedule One drug, according to the USA. 
meaning you can be imprisoned over it. Um, it does have its consequences. It can be very habit-forming and definitely addictive, technically speaking. People that have addictive personalities do not stop doing this drug. Um, the effects of it are more subtle. It's actually unclear what people really get from it. But essentially, people become uh, more extroverted, happier, more talkative, more excitable, um, more on, if you will. And it combines extremely easily with alcohol. So a lot of people that like to drink will take cocaine and drink even more. The hangover from this drug is mostly the alcohol. Um, cocaine itself, it it quickens your heart rate. That's why it's an upper. Um, but other than that, it just makes people feel good. It's hard to put it in another way. It's not. It doesn't especially make people feel euphoric or creative the way that cannabis can. It doesn't necessarily make people feel uninhibited or um, you know uh, the effects of alcohol. It just kind of puts people in better moods and makes people more excitable and social. Uh, speed is kind of the same, but it works chemically different. It looks basically the same. Um, speed is a street word for uh, amphetamine. And this can come in different forms. Both of these can come in rock form. So cocaine can be crack when it's in a rock that you can smoke. And methamphetamine can be crystal meth which is probably the most dangerous drug in America at the moment. And that's not entirely true. It's one of three dangerous drugs. Crystal meth is the one in Breaking Bad. Um, that's what the character cooked. And it's cheaper, it's more addictive, and it's more dangerous because of that. And its health risks, I suppose, are similar you, um, you lose appetite, you lose weight, it deteriorates the skin, but partly from lack of sleep. Uh, it really affects the lifestyle because it's so habit-forming. People just do this all the time, and it's it becomes this gross experience that I don't recommend. Cocaine is kind of a lighter version of that where some amount of glamour <laughs> is maintained. Um, but yeah, in crystal forms, in smokable rock forms, these are highly potent and even more dangerous as a result. Uh, yeah, we had this crack epidemic in the 20th century. That was cocaine. And now we have this amphetamine epidemic. That's crystal meth. We also have an epidemic with opioids, but I'm going to save that. Um, so, yeah, uppers are obviously party drugs because they bring you up. They keep you up at night. They let you dance more and more. And now I should talk about MDMA, also known as Molly also known as ecstasy. Ecstasy is usually the pressed pill version of this white powder. Uh, it's adulterated very often with speed and other things. People don't really know unless you have drug testing kits. Um, again, if drugs were legal, we would know better what we were doing. That would be great. Ecstasy is an interesting drug. It is kind of a mix of psychedelics and uppers. It's, uh, it's a feel-good drug. Everyone feels amazing taking MDMA. It has its roots in therape therapeutic usage as well. Uh, it has a lot of medical benefits in terms of opening up and honesty and communication, but it also just makes you feel 
love. It's basically love in a pill. That's what it is. Um, strangers love each other on this drug emotionally, literally. Um, physically, um, it's more of a hugging drug than anything. Uh, people just love feeling each other's bodies. It's very sensual, not sexual, but sensual. And people love moving on it, especially when combined with uppers. Um, so again, ecstasy pills usually have uppers built into them, but pure MDMA is also a white powder and it doesn't necessarily bring you up, but it makes you just feel excellent. And it lasts for, you know, several hours, maybe five or six hours. Um, the real danger of this drug, the long-term effects aren't really known. There don't seem to be any, but the real danger is like the next week thereafter because it depletes your serotonin. It basically takes serotonin in your brain, a naturally derived chemical in your brain, and like floods your brain with it. So it's just this excessive amount of feel-good chemicals in your brain that your brain already makes. And then afterward, like in the next day or so, next like few days, you have a depletion of this serotonin and people feel really bad after that sometimes. It depends on people's unique brain chemistries. I personally don't feel that bad, but it does kind of like drain you. But it's a very fun drug and it's probably the number one party drug for that reason. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to say number one because it can't be done constantly the way that something like alcohol and cocaine can be. Um, MDMA and XC are similar to psychedelics in the sense that you tend to plan when you're going to do it. It can be more spontaneous. The set and setting don't matter as much because it just makes you feel good, period. People don't have bad trips on ecstasy. But it's hard to do more of it once you've done it. Like, you kind of feel depleted and exhausted after you've done it. So it's not the kind of thing you just keep doing. And in that same breath, let's talk about ketamine, which is probably the newest sounding drug for many of you listening. Ketamine is an interesting drug. It's also white powder. It... I had to talk about this drug. It's a disassociative. It's a horse tranquilizer. It tranquilizes the body. Um, but it doesn't do it right away. It, this is very dose dependent. Um, a little bit of this white powder um, almost has effects similar to cannabis. Some euphoria, some creativity, some open-minded perceptive aspects. Um, it's exciting. It's an interesting drug. The more you do, the deeper it goes. Um, if you do too much, the, the main side effect is something called a K-hole, which is basically a state of being catatonic. It basically makes people just sit in one place doing nothing else but sitting there. It makes your body, <laughs> just stops your body from working. Vomiting is also uh, a side effect once you do a certain amount. Um, so that's not pleasant, but it's not that bad either. Um, you can't really do too much of this drug because your body will just stop and you just won't be able to do more, but you won't die from it. Um, it's a white powder. So any white powder that you snort up your nose has this kind of danger toward your sinuses and your, your blood barrier in your nose, which can deteriorate. But cocaine and speed are really the dangerous ones there because you can just do more and more and more. Whereas ketamine or even Molly, like you're not going to do that much. It's, it's you're, So that's not really a risk, but it does go up your nose. Uh, it doesn't have to. You can uh, technically mix it with water and inhale it or drink it. But in general, um, K 
ketamine is a low dosage, interesting drug that disassociates your brain um, and puts you in this kind of very unique experience where you're almost observing yourself as if in a dream. It kind of like removes your brain from outside of your head, if you will. And um, it's very interesting <laughs> as a result of that. Um, and it's a party drug because it's fun and interesting. Um, but it does have this consequence, if you do too much, of kind of killing the party for you anyway. But it's popular among partiers. It has an, I would also add that it has an immense anti-anxiety effect. Um, it takes away jitters and social anxieties. So people like it for that as well. Um, right, I think I've covered the major party drugs. Um, others include something called GHB, which might be the most dangerous party drug. Um, this is a drug that mimics the effects of ecstasy, which is to say it makes people feel loving and euphoric and fun and dancey. But this is incredibly dose dependent, even more so than ketamine, and its effects are even stronger. So like if you do too much, you will literally pass out unconscious. Um, this is known as a date rape drug, especially when combined with alcohol, people will lose consciousness, not alter, but lose consciousness. So this is very dangerous when mixed with alcohol especially but if you also do too much of this if you don't measure the dose properly this is a liquid by the way and people take it in like vial droppers if you do too much of this you will go with an ambulance to the hospital because it's that it can be that dangerous um so that's like a very niche party drug it's especially prevalent in the gay scene um i'm not going to go into some of these other ones i guess i can Poppers just relax the muscles, essentially. Uh, it's considered kind of a sex drug because it, re it like relaxes the body. Um, it gives a tingle to the brain. Um, nitrous oxide or whippets, these are inhaled um, in quick succession through a device or a balloon. And this also just kind of gives a nice dizzying, uh, lightheadedness feeling that's very brief. Um, it actively feels like losing brain cells. I would say that's the major downer of that um other party drugs i suppose that basically covers it but in general when people are partying a they want to be social b they want to have fun and c they do want to change their mindset they want to lose consciousness or change their consciousness um and so almost anything can be a party drug but i'll talk next about another class of drugs that I don't really think of as party drugs. And those are like pharmaceuticals, which are often downers. Specifically, benzodiazepines or benzos. These are anti-anxiety drugs like Xanax, per or Xanax um, Ativan. Uh, what am I trying to say? There's a class of these drugs that basically are chill pills. These lower heart rate, they lull people um, these are great for traveling. These help you sleep immensely. Um, these are anti-anxiety. They're habit-forming for certain people because they feel very, very good, especially for people that have a lot of anxiety. Um, so they can be dangerous in that sense. These can also kill you if you take like a whole bottle of them, right? Like you can overdose pretty easily on these. Um, when I say pretty easily, I mean with intent, not casually. Um, these are not party drugs. These are like 
at the very end of a party drugs like in order to sleep after you've taken all these other drugs this is the drug that people would take to calm down finally and sleep um but these are prescriptions for people with anxiety which i have and they're a drug for sure they change your consciousness um they relax it specifically but there are other over-the-counter drugs um like percocet i mentioned uh which I'll now get into, which are opioids. And opioids uh, include opiates, which are the natural opiates. Um, and opioids are synth often synthesized synthetic drugs. And I'm talking now about OxyContin. But the natural version of OxyContin is heroin and morphine. And these are big deal drugs that everyone's probably heard of. Uh, these are painkillers. That's what they are. These are painkillers, and people with a lot of pain in their lives love them because they kill pain. They have kind of a disassociative, kind of downer effects. They lull people. They're not party drugs. These are not party drugs. These are, um, <laughs> these are the drugs that people are nodding off in an alley with. These are drugs, if you're fancy, like you're in your own penthouse apartment, uh, maybe with a needle in your arm, maybe with pills, just nodding off and f smiling and losing your consciousness. These are very dangerous because you can die from losing consciousness too deeply. Um, so they're very dose-dependent. A lot of the people that you've heard dying on heroin aren't necessarily suicidal, but have pain in their lives that they're escaping, and they get the dose wrong. It's the kind of drug where you build up a tolerance and you take more and more and then you stop and then you go back to it and you take too much. I think that's happened to a lot of famous people. Um, this is an interesting class of drugs. This is an epidemic in America. The opioid epidemic in America ranks up there with the, um, the meth epidemic as being the most dangerous because it really does underline the deep pain that people feel on a day-to-day -day basis that they're trying to escape from and the over-medication that our society is prescribing to heal that pain, which ends up killing a lot of people that take it. And in this breath, I'll mention fentanyl, which is the newest, most dangerous drug. This is also a painkiller, also a white powder. It's extremely dose-sensitive Literally, one little grain, equivalent to a grain of salt, is enough to kill pain, and two grains of salt is enough to kill you. I'm exaggerating that maybe a little bit, but essentially this is a very dangerous drug that is, for some reason, for some stupid reason, being added to the likes of cocaine and ecstasy, which is very scary for party culture, because party cult culture wants nothing to do with this drug. This is not a party drug. This is an opiate an opioid rather, and it doesn't belong in a party scene, and yet for some reason drug manufacturers and dealers might be adding it. Now, that's nothing new to add things to drugs. In the black market where profit is king, drugs are adulterated all the time with fillers, so most cocaine has a laxative in it. Because cocaine is a diuretic, a laxative kind of slips right in, people don't really notice it. And it doesn't hurt you, so it's not a big deal. It just makes the cocaine worse. But to add something like fentanyl is really 
evil to me. I don't see any point in it. You can't use it as a filler because it's too deadly at that dose. Um, it's also like a kind of, I mean, it's not cheap. You know, it's it's like a manufactured drug by a major manufacturer like Pfizer or something. So I don't really understand how this drug is getting into street drugs, but it is. And or, like when combined with the opioid, the opioid epidemic, it's like exacerbating the death rate. And it's just kind of insane. Um, whenever we hear of a scare in society from some new crazy drug, it's often because something has been adulterated and people don't know what they're taking. And I would say the number one danger regarding this conversation of drugs is the drug war itself. People in general are not trying to die when they take drugs and they're not trying to commit harm when they take drugs. They're trying to change their consciousness and either escape boredom or pain or, or chase um, new heights of consciousness. That's what people do when they take drugs. When people die because of drugs, they're not dying from the intended drug itself. They're dying from the culture in which that drug is done. And in general, that drug is is done in a drug war culture, meaning specifically the USA, but also tons of other countries, have this, quote, war against drugs in which they're trying to criminalize drug use. And as such, no legal manufacturer will make those drugs, leaving it to a black market. And when a black market has control of drugs, you don't know what's happening. You know that it's dangerous because cartels, especially like in a place like Mexico or Latin America, control the distribution of these drugs and fight for territory around these drugs. I've had a whole podcast about the drug war that I'll just reference here, but essentially the drug war is what makes drug use so dangerous. Without the drug war, you don't have nearly as much danger. You still have some. So let's talk about what is left if you removed the drug war. If we hypothetically removed the drug war and legalized all drugs, you would have everything going through a bureaucracy like the FDA. You'd have an administration overseeing production and testing of all substances, like with over-the-counter drugs. Once that happens, people know what they're taking. Now, once people know what they're taking, of course there's still some danger because you have addiction, you have underlying pain and underlying problems within life, and you have lack of education. Same way you have dangers with sex. It's not that sex is dangerous, it's that if you don't do it properly, you can get pregnant or diseased, right? So it's the same with drugs. If you don't know what you're taking, like if you don't know that you've just taken acid, you might have a bad trip. You might not be in the right environment to expand your mind, right? You might not be around people you trust, right? If you take even like too much alcohol, um, you know, or a drug that mixes with your blood chemistry specifically like cocaine, if you take this improperly, like if you're dosed by a stranger or if you're, um, you know, if you just have a condition, like an underlying heart condition, these things can exacerbate those problems. But drugs in and of themselves aren't necessarily a problem. It's your lifestyle that needs examining, not the drug. It's, it's, the, it's the health conditions you're combining it with, not the drug itself. 
So those are questions for everyone to consider and for you to consider when evaluating people around you. Why are people taking this drug? What are they getting from it? And what is the risk? You know, think about coffee. Why are people taking this? Oh, to be more alert, to wake up, to be productive. What is the risk? Maybe dependence. Maybe uh, some amount of um, brain chemistry alteration that has some consequence. It's hard to say. People do have withdrawal from stopping drinking caffeine, including tea. So this needs to be considered whenever drugs are considered. Um, and, in, and especially with party culture, the lifestyle is the issue. If people are partying too much, if they're losing uh, sight of their responsibilities, if they're losing sight of long-term goals, that is what's to be considered. And in regard to health effects, I would say most of these issues are short-term issues. Long-term, there are very dangerous drugs like alcohol and tobacco. I would say those are the biggest two in terms of long-term health effects. But the short-term effects are more pronounced, specifically hangovers, feeling out of sorts, being cloudy or in a fog for another week. These are really the health effects that concern me and people I know. Um, too much partying. Too much partying uh, leaves an impression on your life that is suboptimal. So it's not that drugs are a problem. It's that building a lifestyle around taking drugs can be a sign of a problem. <sighs> okay. Um, I think I might leave it there. Uh, let me know if I've left out some glaring drug. I think I've covered most of the bases here. Um, I hope this was informative. I hope that you've learned something or that it helps you study this topic a bit uh, more keen, keenly, keener. <laughs> I, I guess I should just say better, but I didn't quite want to say that. Yeah, drugs. It's a fascinating topic. Um, I'm happy to discuss it further with you individually. Uh, reach out to me. I'm on social media channels. Instagram is where I'm spending the most time, Keith Pictures. Um, but I have a Twitter handle at Keith Thinking. I have my Patreon that I'd love your support at. That's Key Thinking, same as this podcast. And I'm on Clubhouse if you want to find me there. Uh, my name is Keith Telfian, and I'll leave it there for now. Until next time, ciao.